We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I am joined by Michael Moynihan and Matt Welch, and uh, we are delighted to be with you, gentlemen. It's, it's great to see you. It's been delighted. a very busy, busy week since the last time we recorded one of these. Like um, in I news think, or for you? Well, in general, yeah. um, but but also in news, um, we had uh, New Hampshire. Before we recorded the last time, New Hampshire hadn't been settled yet. Still, still, um, still um, I'm sorry, still Iowa hasn't. hadn't Iowa, been settled yet. Yeah. New Hampshire is about to be settled. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, the last time we recorded one of these wide releases the was still swammer. a candidate for president <laughs> yeah. um and not num- the number one not merely the number one supporter of donald trump's presidency uh but now yeah. he is officially uh, in that position hoping didn't he say by the way EP. the day before like i'm not i'm not backing out i'm going all the way he, he said sure that did. like a day before and yeah. he was like yeah i'm done yeah, <laughs> so, well, i guess we can try i think now he's really you not going to hold back that's that's what I understand. Yeah. No, no, no. I think I <laughs> I sent you guys that link, um, just a search result link, and I and I re- recommend everybody do this. Go to his Twitter page and um, search for um, "hold back." And every second tweet, he's like, "This time I'm not going to hold back." It's like, what? Have you been holding back? I'm before? going on. It doesn't seem like you've I'm been going on back. the Timcast. Not holding back. Not it, this time. Yeah, it totally. Feels- yeah. It feels like there's a story there. Like something has happened in his personal life that made that phrase have special resonance and importance yeah. to him. And it might, maybe it was like an intimate situation where he's like, yeah. you know what, baby? Yeah. I'm not holding back. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to hold back. Like, I'm going to take off back. my shirt and, and play tennis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's right. He started his campaign. Sure. We, yeah, we had to talk about that on, on Megyn Kelly. It was a, yeah. a surprising did we not talk, we did the view yeah. or Prince Charles uh, uh, thing about yeah. on or, or yeah. trans tennis players. It was the <laughs> tennis. Usually You're making a lot of assumptions there, Michael. <laughs> it's, I'm thank, thank God we're not al- on today because I opened up the Daily Mail today, mm. which is oh, boy. The, you know, America's and England's greatest yeah. newspaper. And the top story was about a um, person, a trans person, who is about to make the LPGA and uh, just won some tournament. Just fucking bash this. His name's Jim Rice. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how how they. Of course, it wasn't like a handicap. It wasn't like you know two two under par. Ten, it was just like points. It was like in the thousands. In this, uh, the trans golfer had like thirteen hundred points. In like the number three golfer had like six hundred. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> Megan was going to love this one. <laughs> She's going to get all up in it. Just destroying like, from the lady tees. Yeah, yeah. Completely crushing the I mean, field. Yeah. Uh, it's on, on one hand, it is absolutely ridiculous, uh, all of these things. Yeah. Like, you just don't let people born with penises compete with women in sports. Just seems seems kind of obvious. Um, You're I am. a bigot. Um, and on the yeah. other hand- I didn't know this was the bigot uh, <laughs> Is that the new name of the show? The bigot new cast? name. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Look at the archives, man. How did Matt Walsh Matt Walsh actually replace yeah, Matt Walsh? Yeah, exactly. I can't but believe it. Other- before we before you came on, uh, Camille, he started going on about the Negroes. I was no, that was Camille. Not that's that not was okay. Camille. You like? Do have the video? Was, you can. That was me. Yeah. Actually, oh, actually, yeah, that was, was you. Him. Sorry, Camille. yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the voices. It's, and you know, true story. Left handed. Left handed. This is a, is a special challenge. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll make you tell the story some at some point. <laughs> <in this podcast. laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, no, but like, uh, actually, Megan did this too on on her uh, the uh, the one GOP debate that she moderated. She did the voices. She did too? the voices, which is really weird given her career to start that going to black. Sense, but, uh, she, she's fearless. <laughs> she's fearless. Talking about Santa Claus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> She was rapping. Cardi no, B. she. I That's mean, she asked, and like uh, I saw Dana Lash do this, like uh, the other day, like you know, oh, someone, uh, one of these candidates couldn't answer the question, you know, uh, what is a woman, uh, you know, or like you know, what's the difference between a man and a woman? Like Nikki Haley didn't answer the question right, and it's it reminds me kind of the right wing version of the 2015 uh, Democratic primary question of like, do Black Lives Matter? Yeah, and you yeah, look yeah. at him. Oh, look. Oh, uh, okay. yes. All right. Ooh, uh, he yeah. won't even say it. Yeah, they uh, matter very much. Um, I, I'm going to ask yeah. you, Matt, if you think this is so easy. Because okay. if someone asked me that, if Megan Kelly asked me that, I would be like, my response would be, are you hitting me? Yeah. But, um, Please. Which would be the natural <laughs> Please, response. Please, finally. But, um, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Doug. <laughs> Doug. Um, I can't mention who this is. I actually mentioned oh, no. to, to to you guys that I had uh, dinner with somebody last week, and mm. uh, this person said that they saw Megyn Kelly and Doug um, and, at a holiday uh, place, and so I'll reveal, but he said, he was like, he was like, uh, D- you know, Doug is really something. He's like, he's just, mora- he's so, he's like good looking and like tall, and I was like, wait, <laughs> no, hold on. He's like, you can't compete with Doug. He's like the best. So I was like, I think I like Doug more than I like Megan after this. I, I met Doug <laughs> once. Yeah. He's awesome. And he's absolutely awesome. Like a super nice guy and a Wait. successful novelist. Yeah. He's like six foot he's, five. And he's like, a is there a not, let's not exaggerate. No, there's no, but I just wish I was Doug. Yeah. That's he's the perfect I, man. Is what he's the saying. perfect man. Wow. I'm obsessed with Doug. This is good. Wow. I've never what read is, his books. This is getting weird. <laughs> I'm literally on Amazon buying all of them right now. Yeah. And and like a couple of trans books for the school. Yeah. I'm just going to drop them off at the school. Wasn't that a name of some... <laughs> just to create a controversy. Some bad alt-rock, uh, college rock uh, concept album by the Feelies or something, just called Doug? They're like, we're going to do a concept album. I wasn't the Feelies, but... Um, but- it sounds like the record I'm about to put out. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm going to start recording some songs about Doug just when I when I get make off it podcast. all like R and B, like just uh, yeah, Doug. Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I got you, Doug. <laughs> I love you, Chester. Doug. This is my little what bargain, happened? Is this what happens um, when we record on Saturday night? That's uh, yeah. Yeah, I know it Why is not? a Saturday night, and it's thankfully because last night I, I um. I went to a friend's house. Um, said, "I'll just come over. We'll we'll have some dinner." And it was one of those things that you know, he's got two kids. The kids were awake. They go to bed, and um, and it's intimate. <laughs> and, well, it's funny because it's like they're. I mean, Duck. I've spent many many years with these people, like yeah. partying with them and stuff. And but you know, they're parents now, everything. But the funny thing is, the kids go to bed. And it's just like, all right, we got like two hours. Let's just get into it. And it was like <laughs> literally is, the screen went yep. black and it said one hour later and the, the, the table was like five empty wine bottles. And I was like, look at You know the thing about it is, that guy's like fucking, I couldn't even believe it. I said, who is that? Doug? And he's like, I don't even know who Doug is. And then I was like, I gotta go home. <laughs> I'm snowing. And it Do was they have like, like Uber mess. and East Egg or are you just drunk driving? I don't drunk drive. Oh 
the, <laughs> the Tesla drugstore for me. <laughs> yeah, all you have to do, you yeah. put in the destination, you turn yeah. on the autopilot, yeah. you keep your hands on the wheels. Yeah. I said, no. Stunk, yeah. But but wait, isn't, didn't I understand from you guys that the Tesla is like tattling on you? It's it, not it'll good. tattle if you take your hands off yeah. the wheels. No, no, no. But no, you no, keep no. your hands on the wheels, you're good. No, it's following your eyes. Well, mine doesn't have that. Capability. Well, did you not do the software update or something? The software update, it's, it's like. It's not in. It's not in there with mm -hmm. mine. There's no interior. It also has a yawning thing. No. It like counts the time to yawn. Yeah. Look it up. I swear to God. Huh. And then it pulls the car over and calls Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Come pick him up. <laughs> Come pick up your boy. He's yawning. Oh, my God. Yeah. Pretty soon that all those. Like the fancier the cars get, the the computers they're, they're just gonna have breathalyzers in them. And they're gonna do like <laughs> scan your retina to see if they're like the size of dinner plates or, you know. Well, there's so. there's all all sorts of stuff we could talk about related to the election. So I, I, can I we start come with this? That, yeah, we'll start. We'll get an election, but because yeah. you know we just know Trump's gonna win, and it's you know, just all. <laughs> I mean, he's gonna win that nomination. I mean, he he might win the presidency too. But um, can we just talk about how in the last week? And this, I, I like to bring this up first because it's it's getting it gets Matt's juices flowing right. more than right. anyone. Is that uh, there is about eight publications this week who fired everybody on staff? <laughs> um, Sports Illustrated, uh, Pitchfork, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, Matt, you know your own uh, LA Times man, alma mater, the LA Times. Although those firings haven't happened they're yet, gonna, right? They're I gonna. think they they've announced their yeah, like, intentions but it sounds like they may trim something like 20% yeah. of the staff is like what they're going for so there was a a one day walkout um and what they did out there at the LA Times is what they've done in a number of publications encourage the readership not to read the publication or open the emails that they receive. You realize that that's why they're getting laid off in the first place you don't need to encourage people not to read it they're just not reading it, it. They may say you know what my day was actually perfectly fine. Yeah. I don't feel any less well informed. Yeah. Why am I paying for this? Exactly. Um. So that that yeah, was me that. in 2007, and yeah. when I stopped like buying any of those newspapers. Although I do, <laughs> I do subscribe to the to the Times, um, and to the Washington I've, Post. I've um, stopped with the New York Times, even like with the company paying for the subscription. I stopped mm -hmm. um, because. Yeah. Wow. I stopped too, and then I just restarted again so I could play Spelling Bee. Yeah, which is <laughs> just a really good game. Um, so Matt, you've you've adopted the Don Lemon approach to major media. You pretty much just listen to Ben Shapiro <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah, I <laughs> know. So. Yeah, we have we had a, a, a email writer into the Reason Roundtable podcast asking us about our media consumption, and I was thinking about that in terms of all this, and it's just so incredibly different. I remember coming to New York for the first time in 1990. As an LA kid, and the and LA Times, uh, which is probably going to die as a, as an entity this calendar year, it's amazing that that paper was the fattest newspaper in the country for at least ten years, almost all of the nineteen eighties. When I was a teenager growing up, um, filled with really interesting writers, it was also filled with bloat and a bunch of other stuff too. But like they had, it was you know the calendar section, which was the entertainment section. That would come uh, yeah. the big ones on a Thursday and Sunday would be well in excess of 100 pages, 100 pages. The sports section, which had people like Jim Murray, incredible, just hilarious writer, uh, but many other really great like Hall of Fame writers besides, you know, on a on a slow day would would be 20 pages. I was uh, uh, out um, last time I was on uh, the Bill Maher program. 
uh, you know, they at the hotel there, they bring in the newspaper and the LA Times was the whole thing that they brought me. And I don't know if it's the same one that all subscribers get. Maybe it's hotel only kind of thing. The whole paper was 20 pages long. The entire thing yeah. mm. was 20 pages long. The sports yeah. section used to be around 24, 28. Um, it's, uh, it's astonishing. And there's, uh, of course, this big part of one that wants to like stifle a giggle a little bit about all this, especially the caterwauling that uh, accompanies the death throes and like the late breaking unionization of it all, which is like incredibly ironic. These unions are not doing a lot to save, no, I mean, to save these people from it's dying. Like, uh, it's like, let's, you know, as soon as they unionize, um, and I don't say this out of any particular antipathy for private sector unions, um, but it like, it, as soon as a journalist, outfit unionizes i'd like set my watch like okay 18 months 24 months max um it's it's always been by the way the unionization drives always happen in places where people are either in college like the the the, the tas and like graduate students unionize it's like it's like guys you're, aren't you paying to go here what is how are you unionizing i don't understand this and um the and then it's usually uh recent college graduates going into media because they've read so much labor history that they're like, you know, I want to, I want to have uh, this machine kills fascists on my laptop and be the Woody Guthrie of this newsroom. And it's like, do, does it need to be unionized? Are you really getting um, the short end of the stick here? Because the company that I worked for, Vice, went through this massive, um, ridiculous unionization drive, and there was always these photos of these people with the Vice Union T-shirts on, like fifty people, none of whom have jobs today. And all of whom paid dues, and I didn't. Um, so you guys lost money. I didn't. So that was that was not a that was not a good call. much, but also correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I don't. I didn't. I I had an agent that was more expensive, probably than the union. But like, I don't. I don't want to collectively bargain. I have to individually yeah. bargain. I need to bargain for myself. And it's like mm -hmm. makes no sense when you're like, you know, it flattens everybody the exact same, uh, and doesn't doesn't make sense in media. But it's like. Uh, I mean, it makes sense sometimes. It doesn't make sense um, when you have all these kids coming in and they're like, we have to unionize the intercept. And it's like, yeah, because you're a bunch of lefties and that's that's what you're doing. You're just going through the motions because it's the cool thing to do. You're not actually thinking about whether it's the most logical thing to do at this point. But, you know, the LA Times, it is, yeah, it is a 18 page, 15 page paper at this point. And people are like, you know, you sent this, who's a quote from Matt? That like, you know, uh, the democracy thing. Actually, it's on our uh, chain. About the LA Times, somebody just sent this. Oh, um, yeah, I just I just sent it. It was from the Who's end, Logan? Of, uh, end of a story. Um, I have to go back and, and look. Is he, he's somebody Wolverine of some sort. Um, yeah, oh, I have to, I, Logan I past the furry another. mascot that Camille just sent us on the text chain. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I was just surprised to discover that you could buy these weird furry costumes on the Amazon website, and they're Why? only like three hundred ninety nine. You know, we are recording or fifteen hundred dollars. I'm just uh, that people may want to get a furry outfit that they can have sex in with anatomically correct boobs, huge, beautiful you, boobs. The logical question is, how did you end up uh, looking for this? I I wasn't looking no. for that. I was actually somehow it found dresses of fox. You know, I was, <laughs> I was looking for big ones. A Blue Angels costume for my son because he is completely obsessed with the Blue Angels. So I wanted to to get him a costume that he could wear. So instead, so you got him a costume, costume of a chipmunk with tits. Yeah, and, you know, as as you do, everybody knows who hasn't this happened to. You're searching for a Blue Angels costume, you see yeah. the furries, and you just you click through, and you 
you, yeah. there's a lot. And then your That's recommendations are fucked for like years. <laughs> you mean enriched? <laughs> yeah, enriched. Yeah. yeah. Well, this person, I, I, by the way, is Logan. Aaron, I don't it's know who that Aaron, is. Yeah, it's, uh, 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 Aaron yes. B. Logan, Washington-based reporter who serves as co-chair of the Times Guild Black Caucus. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so he's just we're slicing it really thin there. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he's the, left-handed too. <laughs> so the the quote the quote is. I pray to God in heaven that lo- that Los Angeles is not an example of what happens to a major city when the heartbeat of democracy is gutted. I don't know what Dude. that means. This is the problem with these fucking people. Like the That's- sense, like the overstated sense of like brilliance and necessity to the to the debate and to yes. the they think of this bulwark against fascism. It's like the LA Times, a 17-page paper that nobody buys and barely anyone reads. And it's like, yeah, what will happen to Los Angeles if the LA Times goes goes away? I don't know. You'll have more homeless people? Like, I don't what the fuck could possibly happen. You like go down to Venice Beach, and it's literally like a, a mixture between Beyond Thunderdome and like Idiocracy, and just people are fighting. If you haven't seen that, by the way, that there's a Twitter feed of like of um, just fights on Venice Beach that oh, are caught God, on like yeah. CCTV. Like, there's parts of LA that are just dystopian nightmares. And this person's like, "What will happen in Los Angeles if the LA Times goes away?" I'm like, "I don't know. You know, it's you guys are really doing such a great job keeping everything thriving in LA as it I'm is. I'm gonna, s- but stop this idea that you need you like if there's no democracy, if there's not uh, like a new like it's you pe- you don't produce something that people want to buy. Period. Start producing some, something people want to buy, and then we'll have a conversation. The uh, as the person who I worked there from 2006 and seven in the opinion section. And I was the one who was trying to wrestle it into the 21st century of just like, hey, look, we get all these letters. Maybe we should um, print more than two per day, like maybe on the website. And that's like a seven agency meeting and get the Chicago Tribune involved and stuff. And I'm not at all exaggerating any of that. Uh, And in fact, when I suggested it to the editors there, they shook their heads. They laughed and said, you know, best of luck, man. You know, (laughs) we we tried this. Mm -hmm. We tried this last year. Couldn't do that. It's like all of these um uh structures are in place to not like adapt to the real world um so i became convinced when i was working there um that you can't make um an old a legacy media institution change you just can't um because they were too successful it's we can't imagine it right now especially people who are like camille's age and younger but um Newspapers were among the most profitable uh, businesses in the country b- by a lot. Yeah, by a lot. Uh, yeah. From just wow, advertising, from 1960 yeah. to 1990, maybe even 2000. Um, rise of the internet. Mm-hmm. They they would average um, between 20 and 30 percent annual profit margins. Walmart has never had a profit margin that high, not once. Um, uh, that's what the newspaper industry was like. Um, and then in the late, as it started going in the late 90s. Um, and they were hiving off their audience on purpose to try to avoid the poors. Um, they like, we want to be able, we, we are a monopoly here in this city, uh, as the LA Times was. They went to great lengths, the newspaper companies did, and the LA Times is is almost senior uh, in this. In its, they would just buy out all of the competing dailies and then shut them down. Um, uh, they Once they sat on this monopoly, um, they're like, okay, cool. So now we're going to squeeze it. Uh, and make sure that the average uh, income in the 90s is six figures so that we can sell that to advertisers. It was an amazing thing until 
the internet and Craigslist and, you know, the end of the classifieds market and a bunch of other stuff. But like I became, I tried my damned best to make the, my little corner of that institution change and adapt to the realities. And the analogy that I've used uh, over the years is that it's basically people who worked in those legacy media institutions. And we're not even talking just about newspapers, although they're the most um, poignant and large and and kind of uh, influential group there, but also Sports Illustrated, which is going through it this week, and and uh, Glossy Mags, um, Playboy used to be great, Vanity Fair, Esquire, all these things that that don't exist really anymore in, in any meaningful sense. The Village Voice, the Alt Weekly chains and stuff. Um, they were uh, that period between 1960 and 2000 um, is to journalism and those uh, types of uh, uh, expressions of journalism what the uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire was to Hungary, right? From 1867 mm. to 1914, Hungary was fucking living large. They're like, holy cow, we got uh, we got port access to the Baltic Sea and the Adriatic Sea. We fucking kick ass. <laughs> Look at this. Let's make the biggest stock market in the world in Budapest. Fuck it, right? They were living high on the hog, and it was because they lashed their ship to the Austrians, and then they acted like dicks to the Slovaks and the and the Croats and other people. And then after World War One, um, their borders were clopped off um, a little bit aggressively, um, but back to Hungary's normal shape. There's about 15 million Hungarians in the world, 14 million Hungarian speakers, something like that. Um, and they are they have been traumatized ever since. It, it shapes Hungarian politics to a huge degree. Um, that they are no longer an empire, but they never really should have been an empire. It was just a 40, 50 year period in which they punched way above their weight and they think that's normal and they can't react to the reversion to the mean. And that is what's happening. The institutions are built up. I used to hang out and I've told you guys this before, but like they, on the Times Mirror, which is the big organization um, uh, built up around the LA Times in the 60s and 70s, uh, at the top of the historic LA Times building, which they sold about five years ago, um, they had these incredible like uh, star chamber uh, places that were now when I by the time I was there they were n- not used. I kept trying to like I want to get a like a, a bomb and put a hobo cam on them and have them sleep up here, and make some content <laughs> out of it. But like you'd see the like this fucking table with like thirty five oak chairs the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger and just these incredible art visas and stuff like you saw this incredible power and those institutions are completely have been completely unable to refashion the the way that they think if you read any history of the la times um you will see eventually like some uh asshole a managing editor and i'm thinking of douglas france uh in particular um uh who uh coincided with my tenure there um who will like <clears throat> at you know 20 years ago 15 years ago will say yeah you know the LA Times it's just not what it used to be I can't fly first class everywhere and I know Camille I'm he's I'm making him seem sympathetic <laughs> yeah. to you I mean, um it's a totally legitimate <laughs> right I mean, it's, but, it's wrong it's it should be something that's and, actionable and so like they they just are unable to do it they, they were too profitable 25% profit margins for a half a century is like you can't reshape the business and everything that they've done yeah. since then um they've never understood how to respond to the internet in any way but they don't they don't try to reshape the business what they do is they talk about how democracy is going to be wounded if the paper isn't there anymore <laughs> yeah. and it's like that is the least convincing thing i've ever heard a long time ago i wrote a piece for reason 
um, that was later reprinted in the Utney Reader, Ooh. something that I don't know. Speaking of things, I don't know if they exist anymore. But it was about, more or less, about uh, big box panics. And I used as one example uh, Newbery Comics. And people from Massachusetts and New England will know that Newbery Comics is not a comic book store. They do sell comic books. They started that way. But they were like a record store. And when I was in high mm. school, you'd go there and buy CDs. And they had everything. And they like had imports. And it was just the greatest place in the world. And they expanded really fast. And then all of a sudden, people stopped buying CDs. Napster came along. And what did they do? They said, well, we got to change the business. And they still have a bunch of stores. And now they sell like, you know, uh, T-shirts, like posters. They might sell vinyl now. It's like they, right? they sell vinyl. I bought I, I bought a Roxy Music uh, and Pogues records, two records on vinyl when I was there um, mm. uh, over Christmas. And like they have a big vinyl section, another tiny CD section, but they kept on changing and adapting to, to the climate. It wasn't like, because the problem is, is with, with newspapers, is this con constant, it's, and, and this is the, the, the kind of hangover from the Trump years, and this is one of the reasons you shouldn't want Trump to be reelected, because these fucking people will never stop. <laughs> like, I just need, I need them to go away. I need Bill Crystal to go away. And, and if he's going to be around, he's going to talk about something else. But the thing about democracy, everything is, oh, democracy, everything is falling apart, and it's been much more um, present, that argument, since Donald Trump, is that if you're the LA Times, it, we're not going backwards. You know, I mean, don't bitch about chat GPT. Don't bitch about the internet. Mm -hmm. Do something, change something. Uh, the New York Times actually did a pretty good job of this. And the one thing they did do that the LA Times didn't do, and, the, and LA Times is a great place to do it because they're in fucking LA, is do or try to do a pivot to podcasts and video. Mm -hmm. So uh, the New York Times that had a, a TV show that was on Hulu, a bunch of people that I Worked with producers, went over and worked on it. I didn't really last. You know, Axios did the same thing on HBO, which is actually a pretty good show, um, all things considered, mostly because Jonathan Swan, the crazy Australian, is a great interviewer, and he's good on camera. And it's like, they didn't do any of that. Like, you're in Hollywood. You're in LA. Is that everybody is getting news and trying to figure out what's going on in Israel from YouTube. So what are you doing to it's, do? Like, no, but we should have a, a newspaper because newspapers It's worse than, are than they didn't do anything, is that they- actually for a while uh hired our friend or i didn't say hired but allowed our friend uh hard-working friend gustavo ariano um former uh, guest on this podcast to start a daily podcast and they were totally aping the daily from the new york times it was good yeah. people it was good yeah. and then uh what they do these stupid institutions they're like oh we need to cut 10 percent uh right now so what's a way to do it let's not do podcasts so they just yeah. euthanized his podcast like a year and a half ago, yeah. uh, apropos of nothing. And it's like this, you have to react to how people are receiving their news right now. My, one of my answers to the question of like, Hey, we you know where are you getting your news right now? I'm getting my news from individuals, not institutions. All of mm -hmm. almost all of the legacy institutions have become unreadable. I sent you guys this uh, story from yesterday, I think in the New York times covering a controversy at a, uh, elementary school in our school district here, <clears throat> uh, the New York Post and, and uh, the Free Press had things, and it was about uh, uh, a map on the wall of Arab-speaking countries. It was basically all of the Middle East, mm -hmm. and there was like no Israel. Yeah. There's was, was a place called Palestine <laughs> instead. Yeah. Understandably, this is controversial, and the New York Times uh, uh, take on it, and I really welcome people to go and read it, and I tweeted it out too. You really should. It's, it's astonishing. It's like I yeah. used to go to... These newspapers, knowing that they would have an inclination, uh, a lean on things, but also 
pretty confident that they would give me enough reporting that I could make up my own mind, even if it was like uh, coming to a, maybe a different conclusion mm-hmm. than the reporter. The only yeah. it's very it's hard very now. it's impossible yeah. now. Like the 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 piece yeah. was basically advertising who you should root for. It was not at all telling you <laughs> anything useful about, the, and that's and that is kind of typical now. And and I I say that out of sadness. I mean, um, uh, like real uh, honest to god sadness about my own media consumption. I remember coming to New York for the first time in 1990, and I would go to the bodega. You know, I would. I was in Lower East Side and, and fucking frightened. And there was like a, a murder every uh, half a second back then in New York. And so I'd crawl over the bums and like get seven or six gigantic newspapers and then retreat back into the apartment and spend like five hours reading all of them. It was incredible. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved that part of my life. I mean, I've, I've put newspapers together with rubber cement with every possible like way like I've, I'm romantic about the things and I don't subscribe to any of them anymore. They don't mean anything any, <clears throat> to me anymore. And so much of it is not about me or about us or about anybody else, but the legacy institutions haven't found a way to stay relevant and good. They have abandoned the field, I think on in very basic ways. And so you go to individuals or, you know, very small collectives, new ones of, of individuals um, they really fucking screwed the pooch. I think. Did you? It is interesting. Go ahead. If if they were if they were at least like just maintaining the status quo, like one could at least be a little bit sad that some of this is happening. Of but it's it's it, the writing has gotten precipitously worse. Of course, and it's eminently predictable. Not not just you know I know what your position is, but I know exactly how the argument will proceed. I can even imagine what the little brief asides will be where you'll inform me <laughs> that women and people people of color are hardest hit um mm-hmm. or something like that it's It's just like going to the 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 Black Times Guild or whatever the hell it is to get a comment on the firings that are coming it's just it's all the same crap. Every single time, every publication writes the story in exactly the same exasperated way, with the same in, in, with the same um, political uh, bent to it. Um, but again, also the same like weird tropes, the same kind of forced yes. poetic language, and it's it's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. And, and and it's look because people that you don't like say things that become these kind of you know, Pat wrote phrases like go woke, go broke. It doesn't mean that you should dismiss that as an idea. I know the instinct when people say that, and it's always some like, you know, Charlie Kirk. And you're like, have, you have to resist this, this, this kind of instinct that I have. And I think, I think probably sometimes you guys have it too, is that because this person is so loathsome, you want to just take the other position, but it's not <laughs> wrong. And it's not wrong for a couple of reasons. I mean, if you pitchfork, for instance, there was a woman from Pitchfork, who was complaining about, you know, getting laid off and, 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 uh, you know, people particularly, um, uh, what's it called that, uh, that, uh, uh, uh who bought it, put a ton of money into it. Right. And they believed in it And somewhere along the line, they had a very political change of, it used to be like kind of guitar based music. They went super hard into hip hop and super hard into R&B and tried to become a little broader. And, and, and in being broad, they just stopped covering all the other mm-hmm. stuff they call, they covered previously. It's like the mm-hmm. thing people, when people say, like, we need representation, and then there's 10 spots, and they just hire, like, 10 
minorities and it's like no that's not representation anymore you just you're you're maniacally and just breathlessly hiring as many people who weren't white as possible and this was what happened in so one of these women tweets it out and she's like you know we tried so hard to make it less male that was one of the things she tweeted and, <laughs> and i'm like yeah no that's kind of the problem it's like not you shouldn't try to make a, a music public publication less one of the two genders i know there's probably seven genders. I mean, just male or female. <laughs> Let's just stick with those for the time being, just for the sake of argument. And everything became, and, and then the, I sent you guys a um, tweet from the editor-in-chief, who's a woman of color, a former editor-in-chief <laughs> now, who tweeted out something earlier this year that they were looking for, um, you know, an editor, managing editor or something, and tweeted this out. Then there's a second follow-up tweet in the thread immediately after it said, you know, um, we'd prefer basically uh, people from an underrepresented com community, including the LGBTQIA plus community. It's like, you want a managing editor or what are you looking for here? I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> and Sports Illustrated, of course, goes Tinder. out of business. Yeah. And Sports <laughs> Illustrated, um, like the, the swimsuit issue, of course, everyone points to that, but it's not wrong. It's like, how many pictures of Lizzo are you going to get in here? This is, not, this is a swimsuit issue. <laughs> Okay, fine. All right. Give it to old people. You have to it's like you know you're rep Lizzo stung. Yeah, yeah. She's stung. Lizzo kills. Kills, yeah. We have genuine concern the, the, for people who have yes. serious health issues. And this is why I've I've advocated for this for a while. We need more bullies. We need, we need more, more bullies need to bully. tell kids the truth. Hey, yeah. hey the, buddy. So, you could stand to lose a couple of pounds. I just want that's not how they say it. I want you but to read. I want to read something. Um, they hurt, but they say this is not bullying. But I, I will get back to bullying if you'd yeah. like. Um, yeah. This is from the New York Times, and this is from two days ago. And this is the most amazing thing. This is exactly what you get. And, and Matt used to point this out all the time. What the New York Times sports section became, and now they just mm. shuddered it because there was no sports. I know. You know and when no I was readers. growing up, much <laughs> no readers, and much much like uh, Matt was saying when I was growing up in Boston Globe, we had an amazing sports section, you know, and it was like one of the best in the country. It was famous guys, Bob Ryan, people like this. And you'd read the box scores and, yeah, um, um, and, and, and that's when, uh, what's his name? The maniacal one who, uh, your, your buddy who was on the podcast, um, stats boy who started the globe. What's his name? The, the baseball stats maven. You seem to be having a stroke, Matt. Is that me or you? Uh, no, that we had on this. You, you did a thing with him on the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. You've only in interviewed one baseball John, person for this John podcast. John Thorne. On your John own. Thorne wasn't part of the Boston Globe. No, it wasn't John Thorne. What's his name? Uh, I've... All right, whatever. I have to cut this out because I don't remember his fucking <laughs> Bill name. Bill James. I never interviewed Bill James. <laughs> Bill James. I never interviewed Bill, Bill James. James. My God. Oh, I thought you didn't interview Bill no, James. No, John Thorne. They're all, they, they all, they all, they all look, look the alike. same. Fair enough. Yeah, um, they all look alike. But the New York Times, of course, that... That goes into a. Don't say like you go woke, you go broke. You go hyper political in any direction, and nobody fucking cares. They, they just want to yeah. to read newspapers. They don't want to be hectored all the time. If you do that, you watch cable news. This is the New York Times in a in a um, column about uh, black and Jewish relations, and this is about the Holocaust and Passover. Oh no! One yeah. of the most remarkable things I've read in a very, very long time in a newspaper. <laughs> and bear with me, there's a couple of sentences here. And uh, it starts with this, as part of solving the dilemma of assimilated whiteness, by the way, this is a news story, but it's using this Jeez. as if it's a, Jeez. solving the dilemma of assimilated whiteness, accumulated power, and how to put both, uh, put both to positive use, white Jews, in Cardi's thinking, this is somebody who's been introduced previously, should recognize that, quote, 
Jewish history and relation to trauma in dehumanization has been exceptionalized. Right? What the fuck? Okay. Except <laughs> like these are this this is like academic language in the newspaper, by the way. And then the next sentence, there have been, she said, so many similar genocides. So number one, Holocaust, a little too much. Second, right after this, and this is talking about the, the Holocaust, you, we have to get over it. As Jews, stop it. We're, we're, we're not the only ones. Get over it. The next, the next sentence, quote, I've been to a lot of Passover celebrations, she added, and it's so weird that the story is only of Jewish subjugation even though subjugation is still so present for other people. What the fuck? She went on, black people still haven't had their histories honored. We, have st- we are still gaslit about the impact of slavery and the continued <laughs> impacts of white supremacy. She's complaining that Pesach, the Passover, which is a holiday remembering Jews being expelled from Egypt, yeah. is not about black people. And that is literally yeah. an article in the New York Times. It's getting too much. It's getting too much interest, and in general, I mean, look, Good people should get over it. Lord, get over get the over Holocaust. It. By the way, there have been on, other genocides. So many people. And by the I, way, I, there I, is I, a uniqueness <laughs> to the Holocaust. I'm, I'm tired of people. This is a common new thing. People, you just didn't used to say this in the past. There is something unique about the Holocaust, and I'm not going to go into why that is. Tell but us. If someone would like to. I, no, no, tell me. I, I want to know why is it? Because I want to check my priors. I tend to think that a final solution. And yeah. you know, six million people, give or take. Yeah. Um. Uh. It, that 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 feels like a lot. Feels exceptional. It's a lot, right? The Armenians. Yes. It was like one point five million. It was more like eight years. It was in the midst of a of a war in which they were combatants. Um. Uh. Still call it a genocide, and 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 like wrote a lot, and talked a lot about it mm-hmm. at the time. Um. It it feels like you know the concentrated history and the timeline of it. Feels like it, but you're the one who has the bookshelves. Why is it exceptional? <laughs> well, I would just say very briefly that, that that there was the kind of mechanized nature of it that was unique up until that point. There are two schools here. There's the intentionalist and the functionalist, they call them in this, this uh, debate. Intentionalists say, of course, that this was the intention to kill every Jew. The functionalists say this was a function of war, that um, it kind of just happened. You know, it's a little more complicated than that, but the way that it happened was unique, for sure. Um, the, the, the kind of industrialized nature of it, the people sitting around tables saying, how do we squeeze more people into a gas chamber? How many, we can get how many people in, and then how do we dispose of the bodies? Uh, well, I guess we can shoot them in pits. That's too much. Well, okay, let's uh, cremate them and let's just kind of create this new, um, industrialized way of killing people. Death planning of civilians, which I, which sounds different than Rwanda, Rwanda, which was, uh, genocide as far as i can tell um yeah it was genocide uh, ethnic groups uh or tribal groups going against each other yeah. in a warlike situation yeah and hacking people apart and but there, there was something that the kind of cool calmness of it when you hear like um heinrich himmler's speech in posen um poznan in uh, poland which was recorded you actually had this incredible document it's one of the ones that explains more than anything about the Holocaust, where he's talking about, okay, this is the ugly work we're going to have to do ahead of us. And, you know, the fact that it was, it was committed by ordinary people too, um, that were, you know, set off to, I mean, that's what we, we talked briefly on the podcast about um, my kind of disappointment in the, in the film Zone of Interest, but the entire premise of the film is just how ordinary things had become at Auschwitz. Um, and it was inhuman in a way that we haven't really seen. I mean, look, 
the gulag system was just working people to death. It was irrational. It was wild. There are people that went along with it. It, the second Stalin died, it, um, it turned a corner. And, you know, you have um, Khrushchev's secret speech. People are released from the gulag. They have a reckoning with it. You know, Stalin's name is taken off of streets all across the occupied countries that are mm. countries that are occupied by the Soviet Union. It's a very, very quick turnaround. Um, there was like a one man kind of thing there with Stalin. There was a societal thing in Nazi Germany that is really, really interestingly unique. The main Nazi newspaper was called Volkische Beobachter, the, the People's Observer. Um, and the Germans don't like putting this stuff online. Everything's illegal. They made Mein Kampf illegal. But you can find the um, Austrian version online as PDFs at the Austrian State Library. There's, it's the Wien Ausgabe, the, the, the Wien edition that you can find. And, you know, it's basically the same thing. And it's an incredible thing to look at because it starts in 1938 when, when Austria is taken over by the Nazis. And it's very hard to find articles that don't mention Jews. It's really insane. It's mm. so frequent. There was times before the Nazis came to power where they actually left that to the side a little bit if, if, with the ex, you know, hope of coming to power that maybe this was not the issue that was going to bring them to power. So they talked about it less from like 1928 to like 1932, 1933. But when they're in power, it is just a endless drumbeat. And everybody knows what's happening. And of course, in 1939, um, Hitler says to the Reichstag that if the Jews continue their malevolence, it will result in the extermination of the Jewish people from Europe. Says it explicitly. But people weren't really paying attention. But it was planned in a way, and it was so all-encompassing. I mean, going east was in one way to kill Jews. Most of the Jews that were killed were, were in the east. Um, and very few were from, from Germany and, and France. You have understandably focused on Germany, and a lot of people do. Um, but I think one of the underrated aspects of it is how much enthusiastic participation that you saw with allied countries, captive countries, yes. whatever you want to describe them as, Greece, Hungary, France, sadly. Um, well, the worst were, were Ukraine. Um, Latvia, Lithuania. Um, unfortunately, they, they were very eager participants. And this is actually right. important to understand the psychology of Israelis to this day. I mean, one of the, uh, there's many things to latch onto at the Vadya Shem uh, uh, Museum in uh, Tel Aviv that Michael and I and other of our friends went to uh, 14 months ago. Um, the one that caught my eye was a map of, I forget the timeline exactly, but probably the 1930s sometime, the Jewish population in various states versus like 1946 or 19, whatever, post-war. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, show, it is so shocking. Um, as Mike Pesca said in his incredible um, uh, one-man show or sort of one-man show at the Comedy Cellar that we put a link up to. <laughs> um, so there's no one else there who mattered? No, there's a couple <laughs> other people too, but like, uh, um, uh, you know, he put the uh, Israeli experience as like, it is the place that can be the defensive homeland for Jews because we've mm -hmm. lost faith in all of the other countries with the exception of the United States, you know, more or less. Um, but like Europe in, in particular, like they all fucked up. There's like, where is, where is the haven for Jews um, in during World War II? I guess it has to be the UK to some degree. Um, um, but even then, you know, there's plenty of post-war uh, issues to be had. And, and that's that's all part of it. Like, it's 
and and also part of the uniqueness I would imagine of the Holocaust versus other things is that a whole lot of people that weren't just Germans thought, yeah, it's okay. We need to like solve this problem. Um, this is the problem with uh, Daniel General Goldhagen's book, Hitler's Willing Executioners, which was one of the biggest books of the nineties. I talked to Eli about this the other day. He, he apparently mentioned it in the last podcast he did. So, and I wrote my undergraduate thesis on it. So he called me and we talked about it. But that was one of the flaws with that—the uniquely German situation of um, of genocide was that there were so many. One of the many many arguments against it was that there were so many willing participants in other countries who were not, you know, reared in Nazism, and there were people that grew up outside of Nazism, and even within Germany who grew up in the in the teens and twenties who who enthusiastically participated. But, you know, look, I don't want anyone to think, and because I'm anticipating these emails, that it means that, th that there aren't things that are similar. They're pretty close. Um, I think the uniqueness argument is kind of, for me, comes down to the desire to kill every single Jew, which is a diaspora that's very big. It is in Eastern Europe. It is in France. It is in the Maghreb. It is in the Middle East. Um, that's why the Mufti of Jerusalem was in in, in Berlin quite a bit. It, they're in Russia. And it's just like, this was not something that, you know, the Hutus and the Tutsis was a kind of imagined and made up and overplayed and, and, and crazy in so many ways, internal dispute that had in their minds a political rationale. There isn't really a political rationale for for the Holocaust in the sense that like, Okay, these are our enemies. Um, We're at war with from this a different state. political party. Yeah, yeah, that are, yeah, that are at war with the state. That are in a border. You know, they're they're creating like the Kurds are creating problems within northern Iraq. That kind you can make up stuff like that. It was just Jews everywhere who historically have been a problem in their minds, and so they have to be um, eliminated, and they they have to all be killed. And there wasn't any getting out of it. There was only getting out of it in the early days in Germany. For I mean, by the way, this is not because these are people that are big-hearted. It was very sort of judiciously chosen, these exceptions, was that if you were married to a quote-unquote Aryan or if you served in World War I, and particularly if you served in World War I with distinction, you held on for a lot longer. That was not the case. There was no exceptions when you were a Jew in a Polish village that was overrun by the Wehrmacht um, or overrun by, you know, whatever sort of SS division that came in and, and, and wiped you out. In Baba Yar, that was the first biggest massacre, I think it was in 41 in Ukraine. That was not like, let's figure out who's the good ones, who's the bad ones, who can... And, you know, there was arguments that were made even within, you know, death camps. Like, please don't kill these people. We actually need them. Um, it'd be bad if you came in. And this is actually a famous case. It's in Christopher Browning's book. People that came in, they said, oh, I got orders to, to kill all the Jews. And they said, well, no, we can't do that because... And again, this is not humanitarian. You can't do that because they're very useful to us right now because they're the only ones that know how to do X or Y in, in the village. You know, they're, they can make boots, they can, you know, fix this, that, and the other, and we need them. And that would be overridden by people saying, no, the, the desire is actually just for death. It doesn't matter if you need them. We're going to kill them. And there's no exceptions to that. So that kind of uniqueness, I think, is... is, is and again, I, I accept those arguments that the people that disagree with this, and I think it's a pretty interesting debate to be had. I tend to be on the side of of it being being a, a unique episode in, in in modern human history. I wanted to inject one note into the media discussion, which is that uh, one note of of a uh, uh, kind of agreement with the Aaron B. whoever that was, Gold or something, 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily that the death of the LA Times is the death for democracy in California, but that it's not great. It's not great for the watchdoggery of government that institutions sure. of journalism have all absolutely face planted over the last 20, 25 years. Um, uh, it's, it's, they're not the bulwark. Um, it's citizens who are the bulwark and, uh, there's been serial failure to figure out new ways to be relevant in people's lives or to organize themselves in ways that is useful for people. And, but isn't some of the failure because they're so bad at that? Yes. Mm-hmm. S- some of it, yeah. some of it is, uh, some of it, I'm not saying all um, of it, but some, b- of it, yeah. some of it is, but if you look at the broad sweep and this is why I've always encouraged people who are getting into the media business to cover the media at least a little bit. And I, I do that much less now as an organized, uh, spending of my own time, but, um, it's the media business itself. Like, you know, the Santa Barbara news press to cite one example, didn't go woke and then went broke. The, the woman who ran it, Wendy McCaw, um, I mean, the news press is one of 20, I think, newspapers in the entire country to um, endorse Donald Trump in 2016. Definitely did not go woke at all. And they went broke last year and shut down. Uh, then the oldest daily newspaper in California continuously running. Um, depend- what was the circulation at its highest? Probably 40 or 50,000. Not, not a huge, not important. Santa Barbara is not an important city at all. Um, but just... You know, there was an assumption for a long time that a city above size X could support a daily newspaper. Um, that's just not true anymore at all. Yeah, I mean, anywhere. the collapse of local news is for different reasons, right? Um, there, no, there's similar reasons. I mean, similar the the economics of, I mean, the monopoly stopped. Right, newspapers had forty good years of treating their customers like captives, uh, and when they mm-hmm. do that. They are going to absolutely disrespect you. They're going to insult you while they're doing it. They're going to charge monopolist rates on advertising, on distribution, uh, circulation, whatever, subscriptions. Um, they don't give a shit. They, that's 25% profit margins. A lot of people can get rich. See, because I, I routinely pick up the newspaper in the town that I live in. It's a pretty good newspaper, actually. Um, and because that information that's in it, I can't get anywhere else. It doesn't come across the transom on Twitter. It's like weird stuff that there's going to be a new stoplight somewhere, um, there, or that there's a new restaurant opening up or that, you know, there's, um, you know, a bit of land that has been landmarked as, as, uh, you know, you can't build on it, but these weird local stories you don't get anywhere else. So it seems logical that that, that stuff would be, would have an easier time surviving the smaller you get. Because the information is just not out there, except for those diligent people that are that are actually paying attention to local. And stories. pursuant to that, uh, a critique that I've had for a long time about the local city monopolies, whether it's uh, Los Angeles, which is a large city, uh, or something as small as Santa Barbara, which was for uh, a, the news press for a while was owned by the New York Times. Um, they, uh, if they looked, the people who worked for those papers, they wanted to grow up and be the New York Times. Um, and this was such a catastrophic mistake. Not that the New York Times wasn't great. It was great for a very long time, uh, most of its history. But that the New York Times is a, a unique product of a unique city that has a unique competitive set that almost all other newspaper cities do not, uh, did not back then, which is to say there was five or six daily newspapers still in New York um, that cover different things. I mean, keeping it also in mind that the number of enormous 
high circulation New York-based newspapers that died 30 years ago. It died 40 years ago. It died 50 years ago. I mean, there was sure, an enormous amount ago. of money put into a left-wing newspaper in 1940, I think it started, maybe 39, called PM. PM was awesome. And, and they tried they, – the, the idea of the newspaper was going to be very photo-heavy. That was like the initial pitch of it. And they moved away from that a little bit. It was a tabloid format. It was explicitly left-wing. Um, but it wasn't as left-wing as the daily – Communist newspaper in America, which was very successful in the 1930s and 40s, um, particularly the 20s and 30s, uh, called The Daily Worker, um, which was based out of Chicago. And PM filled that void and you know, sold, I think, 40, 50,000 copies a day, something pretty big for, the, for, the, what it, for what it was, which was an explicitly political newspaper. And that disappeared. You know, the, the New York World Telegram, which was a big newspaper, disappeared. The New York Sun prior to its uh, re, um, um, reanimation uh, in 2002, uh, went out of business. I mean, there the were big papers that went out of business prior. The Herald, um, yeah. So it's not, you know, and particularly because American newspaper culture is very odd too, because we never were a big tabloid country, unlike the UK, which is like, you know, back to everywhere you go. There's tablets. Believe the it or Express, not, the Daily Mirror, the Daily Mail, the Sun, the News of the World. People uh, can't believe this, but L.A. was a tabloid newspaper uh, city in the fifties and yeah, early sixties. You had one not too long ago, too. What was that one? The 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 Daily was it the Daily News? The, the, I mean, Daily Mail News still exists. It's not really tabloid. It's kind of a semi broadsheet. Uh, it, it covers the uh, San Fernando Valley, so it's a suburban, semi-Republican uh, newspaper, but it's not anymore. It was, it's kind of like Newsday or something. Yeah, it was yeah. more like that than, than an actual t- – Herald Examiner was the last tabloid, and it died in 1989, like so many yeah. communist dreams. But um, uh, what I wa- want to say about that, <laughs> the, the folly of the local papers trying to be the New York Times is that they'd be the local monopolist – papers trying to be the New York Times. And so when you're doing that, that means you're not covering local news. New York Times yeah, could not yeah. cover local news because they knew that the Post and the Daily News and Newsday were covering local news and the Wall Street Journal was covering finance. And the New York Times was covering the, you know, international order, um, you know, the post-World War II Davos world, right? They're going to take care of that. Um, and that's great. But the people lost, like it became a um, an embarrassment for local newspapers to cover crime and to cover the yeah. shit that you're reading about Moynihan in your local paper, which is actually material to you. Um, There's no crime. I mean, the, the, <laughs> by the way, right. Well, so uh, the New York post, if, it, is, if there is, it involves enormous sums of money <laughs> and usually someone jacking off in someone's bushes, yeah, yeah. Uh, a rich yeah, person on an island. Yeah. Uh, island. Yeah. yeah. A Kennedy killed somebody with a shovel. Again, <laughs> or a golf club. <laughs> um, no, no, it's it's uh, it, it's it's really funny. I said to because because on the go woke go broke thing, you can't the model of that stuff like what Vice was doing. Um, it was going to blow up. It's what um, Mike dot com was doing. It's what Upworthy was doing. It's what you know um, Teen Vogue was doing. even Pitchfork in a music sense was doing it, and it's all going away. When people say like, oh, we turned the corner. It's like, well, we've turned the corner in some sense. Every day it's not bombarded with, it, unfortunately, it's as we've seen with that, that Passover story, seeped into the groundwater of mainstream journalism too. But when the Daily Beast went that direction and then, you know, the Trump thing, the obsessions with Trump is going to, I mean, MSNBC Rolling stuff. Stone. Rolling Stone. Um, like it, it all, 
Like there, there's two versions of this. That can't last. And also, if this was a podcast that was only about wokeness, which by the way, it never has been. And I'm going to be very explicit about that for a reason. We talked about people saying stupid shit. We didn't talk in a, and never have talked in a grand theory way that, oh my God, the world is being destroyed by this. It was just mockery and sometimes bigger discussion about it. But it, it, we were never, that was never what we did. And I think about so many other people that do podcasts like this. I say, well, that's the new version of the newspapers. Now as people are getting podcasts, I'm like, well, I'll warn some of these people in the podcast world. You remind me of heavy metal bands in 1989 <laughs> who were like, man, this is the fucking greatest. It's never going to end. And they didn't see Nirvana coming. And then all of a sudden they're like, maybe we should get some flannels and cut our hair and, you know, just be a little messier and try to do some like grunge type. But a great version of that was Def Leppard did that. Yes, the, the, they did a, like a grunge record. It's the most embarrassing thing I ever. I mean, but, Guns N' Roses did it in the midst of their first record. They went from yeah, hairspray right. yeah. to flannels. Hairspray, yeah, yeah. And it's like you can see it in the Welcome to the Jungle video with the teased up hair that Axl Rose has. But yeah, like don't don't be the heavy metal band that thinks that grunge isn't going to happen because there's a there's a mm. limit to the amount that people want to hear about, you know, um, crazy people saying absolutely crazy stuff. And, you know, we know that it exists. Before, there was a big market for it because people didn't know it exists. We were people exposing people to this stuff. Like, can you imagine? And then it's the biggest story in America for a while is Claudine Gay. And the conversation about that is about the rot within universities. And people seem to know about that now. They didn't seem to know about that very much five years ago. And I just wonder that these people have this argument that, um, yeah, the newspapers are going away. It's being taken over by the Joe Rogans of the world and podcasts and people like, you know, Tim Pool and whatever. I mean, this, this is a very limited uh, what these people can do as far as I'm concerned. I'm not saying they're going to go away. I'm not saying that they don't do good stuff. I don't, I don't think Tim Pool does. But like other people, I'm not saying like I, Rogan's entertaining, et cetera. But I just don't think that's going to be the way it's going to stay. And the newspapers didn't understand that things didn't stay a certain way. And they, pe other people should understand it's not going to stay either. Yes. They, they were well, completely unable. Maybe, Go ahead, Kimmel. Yeah. Maybe a quick speed run through some other things before we, before we have to tap out. Tap out. Um, Let's do this. Let's stay. Was Davos, <laughs> was Davos happened this week. Um, so there was some news from that. Uh, quite a few people um, sharing videos from there. Um, interesting to see some uh strident um anti Davos voices uh being circulated. Um uh, but the highlight for me was Sam Altman and Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas on a panel together <laughs> at a Salesforce event talking about um AI. Although, Where's the Batter Meinhof uh, gang when you knew yeah. that? <laughs> Will, <laughs> Will I am Will I Am was talking about HI and the need for uh for more funding in human intelligence because it's it's just inhuman what? to be funding artificial intelligence i don't know you know i guess hey, that's what you I get when you get the black eyed peas guy on there <laughs> <laughs> but he was making tech products at some point i don't know that any of them have been particularly successful um but uh, apparently he's got enough connections to to show up at davos and share the stage with uh, sam Altman. so that's nice um but beyond that i mean there's other stuff in media that may be worth talking about certainly uh somewhat related to the the changes that have happened in the news in the print news industry um <clears throat> this week a lot of media organizations in the cable news industry had to make a very tough call whether or not to carry any of the remarks of the victor of the Iowa caucuses one Donald Trump um after race and MSNBC made a very clear decision from their standpoint 
Uh, although they did talk about, I guess, Rachel Maddow described what a difficult decision is, it is for them and how they do have these internal discussions. But they've decided um, that they will not carry the president's remarks um, live um, and did not uh, and proceeded to have a panel where they talked about the radicalization of the Republican base and all of the other things that suggest that there's just this diehard core of Republicans who are sympathetic to uh, strongmen and authoritarianism, explicitly authoritarianism. That's what they want. And that's what they're voting for. And they're the problem. Um, I guess CNN carried about 10 minutes of the speech, it sounds like. Uh, and as a result, then um, there was some reporting about this, I think in, Washpo, in WAPO, um, <clears throat> about the extraordinary degree of consternation on the part of some people in the, in the media organization, because, you know, carrying a couple minutes of the president's remarks, it's just, uh, just of the uh, man who's going to be the Republican. The <laughs> we can't have you here. The man who might be president. It's but the dialogue, unsurprisingly, the, the discourse about this seems to, to be related not only to this race in January 6th and questions about whether or not it's, he's an insurrectionist and he'll purport, um, he'll promote lies, but specifically about CNN still dealing with their demons related to 2016. Um, and the, the, the thinking being that there were times where they gave Donald Trump far too much coverage, that they gave him opportunities to essentially give an entire hour long speech. And because Trump was great for ratings for them, um, but did they, you know, end up bolstering a candidate unexpectedly, um, because of that. And it does seem to me that there's legitimate questions to ask, um, about a media organization that purports to be journalistic um, but is a basic is basically just devoting um, hours and hours of coverage per week to one candidate and giving you their rallies kind of end to end. Like, is that is that journalism? But you know what's oh, weird maybe. about it is that the person yeah, making that stuff available is good, right? The person who calls this out in a in a bit of you know kind of comical grandstanding is of course Rachel Maddow. After mm -hmm. this happened, she's like, you know what? We're not going to show this because it's like, it's very important for her to say it on camera because people will be like, bravo, Rachel. You're so great. I'm so glad you're standing up against fascism. But it's an incredible thing. As a news network, I'm going to, wait a second. Ho, 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 ho. You're not a news person. You're an opinion monger. That's what you do. Mm -hmm. And you have complained in the past about Fox and people like that blurring the lines between opinion and reporting. And you are the opinion person making the call on the night of the Iowa caucuses that the news organization NBC will not be showing Donald Trump's speech. Pretty astonishing to me that, you know, that is just, that I guess NBC has been fully swallowed by its, uh, by its opinion division. It seems to be the case. I mean, when I watch it, it just, it's, it's all opinion all the time, including, you know, the Andrea Mitchells of the world who used to at least pretend to be, you know, down the middle. Now they, they don't. And they, they do their aggressive interviews with, Donald Trump people, which they should do. And I'm happy when people do that, but they don't seem to do it when it's Corrine Jean-Pierre. And as a matter of fact, NBC, of course, hired, <laughs> hired Jen Psaki. I mean, it's like, can it get more ridiculous? I mean, look, it can, it can actually. I mean, the, somebody in front of that lectern um, from the Bush administration was hired by Fox News. I like Dana Perino a lot, but, you know, then she had a long life there and was pretty good at what she does in that sense. Jen Psaki, like, literally a day after she's yeah. flacking for the administration. Had not, then, had not, like, shown that she was particularly good at the flacking part. No. 
She just no. shut up, shed red hair. So I guess that was cool. No, it's just like, I, I, I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, I it's cool. Red hair is cool. It's fucking, yeah. it's so insane to me because it shows you it's just like that quote from the LA Times person. Without us standing athwart fascism, we're going to lose democracy because that's what we do. We're the people that, that protect you against democracy, you dummies. <laughs> we're smart, you're dumb. <laughs> The version of that in NBC, of course, is that we can't have you hear this because if you hear it, you might be convinced by it and might vote for it. It's the sheep you theory might all think- the way fucking down. They they have thought forever and they have not been disabused by all the evidence to the contrary over the last 5, 10, 20 years that people are sheep. And if they are the recipients of broadcast information, the sheep will go, oh, I will go this direction now. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Wait, that was a 25-minute Donald Trump speech? That totally changes everything because the Nikki Haley speech was only 10 minutes. What is the Fuck. so I don't understand what is the argument that where this how this happened before? They can't possibly think that prior to cable news, everybody in America was incredibly well informed about everything, just they were a little more sympathetic to the Republicans or the Democrats. That they didn't have crazy theories. They didn't think things that weren't true. How was that stuff spreading before? Because they think they seem to think that, you know, they are the bulwark against this stuff. And that prior to 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 this stuff, they were showing this stuff in 2016. And that's why everybody was misinformed. I'm sorry. I recall people being misinformed in the 1980s and 90s about it, lots of things. Lots of things. I would also point uh, out that the 2012 uh, presidential campaign, which has been memory hold by everybody because really, really everybody, especially uh, everybody, yeah. uh, uh, people uh, who were busy making two arguments that uh, Mitt Romney is, is uniquely horrible because of binders full of women and a dog in a car. Um, yeah. And that also Paul <laughs> Ryan lies more than any person has ever lied in the history of American politics. And, yeah. and if you think that I'm exaggerating here, really Correct. go back and look, go back and look yeah. at the coverage of the 2012 Republican convention, which I covered at the time. Um, people, uh, and like there was a, a, a very sympathetic uh, interview given uh, in Time Magazine before the Democratic Convention, I believe it was, and um, by a guy who very soon after that interview joined the Obama administration, but he was then a, a managing editor at the time. His name escapes me. Uh, and the questions were like, um, what do we have to do to convince Americans that um, the Republicans are lying all the time and that your economic record is great? Um, those are the types of, of questions in it. And it's sort of like normal um, at the time. And that sort of lopsided sense of of where the fact-checking apparatus is going to be tilted at was uh, obscene at the time, really obscene, um, and including like the kind of ur-text of Paul Ryan's alleged um, uh, uniquely horrible lyingness uh, had to do with... Uh, I, I, some kind of like Foxconn style um, uh, yeah. uh, uh, industrial thing. And most people got the dates wrong. And like, if the date uh, is wrong, then your entire argument about that is wrong. And that's your lead example, whatever. It was just like stupid. Um, and then, so they spent all this time doing this. And I think Bill Maher at some point uh, pointed this out too. Like people wanted to like, to uh, uh, say that, uh, you know, uh, Mitt Romney was some kind of racist or sexist or whatever. And like, in the fullness of time and seeing what has happened since to the Republican party. And they're like the guy who's dominated the party, like all that seems a bit silly in retrospect. And also it made people not listen to you. Um, if you're going to expend all this energy 
um, talking about this thing and, and inflating this threat when the actual threat comes through the door or like someone who's just a challenging human being comes through the door. You're, you, you can't just adjective your way out of that. You have to like, like be convincing in some way. And people have not been, I would, I would say about the, um, uh, like cutting Trump off, totally insane to do that, totally wrong to do that. Um, and as was, and this is where like people lose the plot on some level of like covering people as they're talking about how they're going to exercise government power, which actually has more power than, you know, the dominant stupid ass media narratives is that Trump responded to this saying, we're going to have to have the FCC go in and like pull the licenses of CNN and MSNBC because they can't just cut off the president like this. And the thing is, he said shit like this all the time on the campaign trail in 2015 and 16. He said this as president. It's way more plausible now um, for uh, starters. Joe Biden has been super happy that Donald Trump was super litigious in the Federal Trade Commission and the FCC and elsewhere going after mergers mm. and everything. Alina uh, Khan has has really tried to play up the Trump legacy or at least like operate within it. She's been a failure because she's so fucking stupid. She doesn't do it well. Um, no, she's really fucking dumb. Read up on her. It's incredible. Uh, but like, um, there hasn't been a lot of hesitation, uh, in the Biden administration and, um, and the, the kind of people who are going to come into a second Trump administration who are going to be attracted to it. It's not just going to be like eager beaver, Vivek Ramaswamy types. Like I'm going to change all my views in 15 months. Cause I've learned the truth now. Um, people, there's going to be some of those, um, but it's going to, it's going to be people who are like, cool. Uh, I want to do the things that he wasn't able to do last time because of the deep state. And they will, I, I, I would absolutely predict do pretty horrifying, um, abuses of government, federal government power against media institutions for like personal peak. And that was a different spelling of peak than usual, but yeah, for for, because they're annoyed by the way that they cover Trump and all that shit is terrible. Like just put him on fucking TV. He's going to win the nomination. Most likely Um, he's newsworthy interview him. Stop with the deplatforming bullshit. Just stop that whole fucking nonsense of like, we are going to protect everyone's delicate ears from shit. Do journalism instead, knock it off. And also meanwhile, don't fucking like support like cracking down on media companies because you're uh, annoyed by them i think that in 50 years when people are writing the history of this you know this kind of 15 20 year period let's say like end of george w let's first obama administration to the end of whoever wins the next next election take that period of time and you know you think of these times and they get these these kind of small little flags on them right this is the time of mccarthyism this is the time of the Great Depression and the New Deal. This is the time of World War II, the the tumultuous '60s, the you know Nixon '70s, and you know Reagan's '80s, etc. And there's ideas that come to be associated with it. And one of the things I think that will probably come out of this is looking at this from the point of view of 50 years hence, 30 years hence, that we can't quite see right now, and I don't think people talk about nearly enough, is the radicalization of people on the right is talked about ad infinitum now, but they mm-hmm. don't talk about why. They don't really understand why. They don't see it in the right way. It's it's usually something like, well, they hate gays and 
they hate. And, and if you're talking it's about anybody it. else, if you're talking about Muslims or something, if you say, well, they hate Jews, they'll be like, well, okay, so the occupation, they'll talk about more than just that one thing. They'll say, well, that, this precipitates that, right? And no one ever does that, or very few people do that when it comes to people um, being attracted to populism, national conservatism, Trumpism, et cetera. And I think that rather than looking at some DEI person at some university who said something crazy, and this is what happens when you do podcasts, you talk about these things. But when you pull out many years from now and you just don't see the small examples, but you see the, the, the legacy of it all, uh, you'll see that these moments were what created this counter, sort of countercultural movement on the right. And it's countercultural. People tend to think that term has to mean it's cool. <laughs> that it has to have like good records and cool parties and, you know, girls with their, you know, tits painted and, you know, wiggling around on, in an open field. Well, yeah, that's Woodstock, things like that. Okay. <laughs> Matt just gave me a very odd look. But that sort of thing is counterculture in the sense that there is a reaction to everything that's been happening. It builds up in everybody. It is built up in everybody. And you see it. I think the greatest example of this recently is Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman's a rich guy who gives money to Democrats, gives money to Harvard, lives in a very rarefied universe. And there is an issue that he actually cared about beyond, you know, um, what is it? Pershing? Is that his company? Beyond these, the money that he makes every day and, you know, being in finance. There was an issue and it was about, uh, being Jewish, it was about Israel, and it was about his alma mater, and it was about the money that he gave them. And then he's talking about DEI, and then he's talking about how people get hired at the position like Claudine Gay, and then he's just talking bigger and bigger and bigger. But it, it, there's always a factor for people like that. But but he's not somebody that came out of the political world of, of the right. But there's a point at which these things affect you in a way that you become part of a movement. Or you kind of tacitly allow it to happen or nod and wink or you vote for somebody and don't tell anyone. Jamie Dimon, um, the other day was, I assume it was at Davos because it's Jamie Dimon, right? Yeah. Um, the head of, what is he, the head of Citibank? Is that what it is? Um, is that what Jamie Dimon's head of? Uh, I can't even remember at this point. Uh, he's a big mocker and he's got a lot of money. CEO of Chase. Chase or something like that. Yeah, whatever. So he's, yeah. he's there, like one of the most influential guys. And this made... David Frum and, and um, Bill Crystal's head explode, where he's like, look, Trump is a psycho, but he's not wrong about everything. And he says, you know, immigration, um, you know, uh, he ticks through a whole bunch of things that, you know, it's finally... And it's not, it's not necessarily like his prescriptions aren't correct, but he's correct. identifying that people are... Yes. Yes. And that amazed people... And I was like, man, you don't realize why you're amazed here, do you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't realize it. It's like somebody finally said the thing that was so obvious and that everybody knew, but you chose mm -hmm. for 10 years to say that they're the basket of deplorables and they're a bunch of racists and they're conspiracy theorists right. and they're all right. a comet pizza and the rest of it. It's like Jamie Dimon just said something that everybody knew when they talked to people out on, you know, in Trump land. And I don't love the way people frame this stuff. I don't think their prescriptions were right, particularly when it came to trade and jobs and capitalism and free markets and things like that. But that was always out there. And now you have these people like, oh, you know what? He's actually not wrong about this stuff because I live in New York City and there's migrants that are, you know, sleeping in, you know, 
under bridges everywhere and sleeping at at you know on, disused airports on every subway on every on every platform. subway it's, and it's like you see it all the time and it's like now this is what I think that people are going to view later when they see this because you in the moment you're trying to win political points you're trying to call your political enemy a psycho, a fascist, a racist, et cetera. But when you're coming to actually look at this stuff later, you know, people write history books now, contemporaneous history books to win arguments, to win, you know, a political debate. Less so when it's 100 years from now, people are going to say, well, why did everyone react this way? Well, there's a bunch of antecedents to this. There's a bunch of things that we can point out that's, that people are like, you know what? Donald Trump said something in 2015 that he said a lot. He never said again. But he said the words political correctness all the time. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. He was always talking about political mm-hmm. correctness. And that resonated with people. And then that became a phrase we didn't use and Donald Trump adapted. And a, th- um, a thing about Bill Ackman too is that once he stuck his neck out, he got absolutely attacked. His wife got attacked um, yeah. by this whole kind of his hot culture. Wife, fucking hot wife. hot <laughs> wife got attacked. Wife. Uh, <laughs> successful. She uh, fine. Hot, she right. I, uh, got attacked, <laughs> and so like that can be radicalizing. I know. Radicalizing <laughs> too, which is you know if if anyone out there um, sticks their neck out a little bit and is it is brave and tries to call bullshit in their own way how they see it and the mm, and they like the guns get trained on them that is a radicalizing experience. You will yeah. join the other team. Um, Kevin Spacey was on Tucker Carlson's show. <laughs> If you had told me that well, 10 years ago, Kevin Spacey will be on like the most like radical, I wouldn't have seen that coming, but yeah, there you go. What's his name? Uh, our, our guest, when we did our live show uh, earlier last year, Michael Rappaport uh, was like, hates Donald Trump more than anyone. And yeah. like hate more than anyone. He's like insane yeah, about yeah. it. He's like, you pig dick motherfucker. He's always saying these crazy things. And then he's like, maybe, maybe I could vote for him. And I was like, what? <laughs> Did he really? Did say that. I was like, yeah. wow. Dear God. There are moments Spacey, that push people towards uh, Donald Trump. It's very, yeah, very Spacey was on Tucker as Francis Underwood. That was so, all very odd. It was like in character. Yeah. It was very weird. Very weird. Um, so a couple other things. Uh, there is uh, a sex scandal, um, maybe, uh, but an alleged affair. Uh, between Fanny Willis, who's the district that attorney must be in so Georgia, funny in England. Because the word Fanny in England means yeah. something different. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> who's prosecuting um, the president of the United States and Young Thug, both in RICO cases, different RICO cases, completely unrelated. But, you know, who would have I mean, known? Trump, if, he, um, if, if, if Young Thug's convicted and Trump wins, he'll pardon him. He loves pardoning rappers. <laughs> yeah. Favorite does. thing. It's worked out pretty yep. well for him. I, mean, I think it was just this week, Meek Mill uh, sent out a tweet that sounded pretty supportive, but we'll get to mm-hmm. that later, really? maybe. Um, but the Fannie Willis situation is at least funny to me, um, and the situation appears to be that she hired a gentleman named Nathan Wade, who has uh, been a longtime friend of hers, mm-hmm. uh, apparently, more than friends, perhaps, <laughs> yes. uh, the Trump yes. Trump's legal team alleged that there had been an affair. And it's funny because I recall that there had previously been allegations that Fannie was in a relationship with a gang member. Um, But as it turns out, it's maybe that too, but she's definitely, at least it seems to be the case, um, suspected of being in a relationship with Mr. Wade, 
who she appointed to help run point on the Rico case. He secured the services of his firm uh, and was paying him like $250 an hour, which apparently is above board. Um, but it's an astonishing amount of money. Uh, it, he stood to make a whole bunch of money. Fannie was already raising her profile pretty substantially by pursuing this prosecution. And Trump's lawyers are hopeful that this will in some way, shape, or form prove bias. Although I would suspect that, I mean, it's not like he was part of the defense team. The The expectation probably ought to have been that they would be adversarial towards Trump. Um, but at a minimum, this certainly smacks of a kind of corruption. Um, although Fanny went to uh, a church and gave a rousing speech there where she talked about how, you know, a black woman, you know, can't be perfect while she's trying to save democracy. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't think we're asking for perfection, asking you not to appoint the man that you're screwing um, <laughs> to an important role and pay him a million dollars. Uh, you don't have to save democracy. You don't have to be perfect. Just don't do that. Uh, and you can keep yourself out of trouble. Um, but she also went on to suggest that it was racist, that what was happening was racist and allegations that she hired Mr. Wade for any reason other than his acumen as a lawyer um, were inherently racist. And again, I don't think it has anything to do with race. If you are screwing a guy and he happens to be purple um, I think, and you know, Donald <laughs> Trump obviously only hires questions. lawyers that for their acumen yeah. too. Yeah, not yeah. like hot we, we know that he 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 actually always swipes right. Yeah. That yeah. is what he does on hotlawyers.com. By the way, you got to give him credit. All of his legal, support. he's like, I'm willing to go to jail for how much I love hot women. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a shitty lawyer, but I get to be around like a hot chick. Because Melania is yeah. not super into me at this point, so. I mean, look at her. She's so qualified. So qualified. <laughs> could you could you turn around for us there, Deborah? What's, what's the what's Great. his what's his lawyer's <laughs> name? Habibi. What's what's her Trump's lawyer? I don't remember. Can't remember now. I don't remember. He's he's got binders full he of women. Does. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's just funny. I don't actually know that again that it 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 represents any sort of bias, and it could be that Willis just gets dumped, um, and maybe the case goes along with her. Not clear, but it it, it is interesting that this Georgia case seemed to be among the stronger cases mm-hmm. um, that Trump was facing, and this is the one that is in fact jeopardized because of the misconduct of uh, of a very political. Yeah. yeah, classified documents seems to be the, the most, yeah. the, the it's, one that seems to be a slam. It's clear cut, but also like um, for those who um, uh, really want to m- put a stake through Donald Trump's political heart, um, there's a desire to want to get one of the January 6th related ones because that is the conduct that is the worst of his conduct. We care about that more than we care about him saying i want to keep my boxes <laughs> <laughs> like, I uh, like my boxes that your box is my box in the box damn it yeah. <laughs> this is a i'm on his side a real real office space this vibes is a, there. yeah, yeah this is my, my special boxes <laughs> especially once the recordings come yeah. out and he's like showing people the boxes look at them i mean look at this look at these classes i'm not yeah but show, the recordings are great i'm not gonna i'm not gonna show it to I'll show i'm it to gonna you. pretend that i never showed this to you. yeah like i drew a little map on the back of <laughs> and the good thing is like <laughs> well you know by biden you know he had his next to his corvette but it's like yeah. that one's a little more defensible because i just imagine him 
having literally no idea where he is, just <laughs> taking got, a box and no. just walking out the front door of the White House. Also, no idea where his yeah. like Corvette is. Like, yeah, I have a Corvette. Like, Mr. President, he's like, is, uh, yeah, come on, come on, it's an Uber. I got to take an Uber. I'm going to go to Delaware. I have a is Corvette. Yeah, I, 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 where did I get one of those? great. I love we Corvettes should. and ice cream. <laughs> we should insert. Did you see the Jill Biden thing when she told him what he liked? No. With it, what food? No. It was like a couple oh, no, days no, ago. No, 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 really? And and he was what? like, I get, get like, a, get like a hot uh, get a hot dogs or something like that. And she was like, and you like ice cream, <laughs> oh, Joe? No. And he was like, yeah, I do. I, I do. Chocolate, chocolate chip, chocolate, 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 chocolate chop, <laughs> yeah. chocolate, chocolate It was amazing. It was like, I was like, God, you could not look any like less physically qualified to be a president. <laughs> As Shane Gillis said, he's like the only president in history who you could punch assassinate. <laughs> <laughs> I think really I think you could actually like surprise <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could scare assassinate. One yeah. thing that could you go to prison for that? Could you go to prison for that? If you just sneak up behind Joe Biden, say boom, yeah, and he, he just falls over. Oh, yeah. Elizabeth, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to join you. With half my ribble is my old documents in the old documents in the Corvette. <laughs> 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 That'd be great if if, oh if he God. just started being fucking Red Fox. Then I'd be now, like, yeah, a vuncular and funny old man, not crazy. Could you imagine and and, and yes. confused old man, a vuncular and funny. That's is good. All I yeah. want. That's better, all I yeah. want is like the Bullworth, the Bullworth election, yeah, oh, just yeah. full blown. And it feels like we're getting getting closer and closer to that. With this week, Meek Mill suggesting that uh, people were going to be shocked and surprised, and in in response to a tweet. Um, about uh, Trump's Iowa, um, Iowa win. He says people are going to be very surprised when poor blacks in inner cities started voting for uh, Donald Trump. He at least suggested that that was going to happen. I don't, I don't know I don't, why anyone would be surprised else. by that. It doesn't really sound like an endorsement. Poor but people in general. Let me be poor blacks. Big, Any poor people. Like, yeah. like, you know, when you have people, um, and I'm sympathetic to this argument in a way, of like, you know, should we maybe have a president who sounds like intelligent, sounds like they know history, sounds like they know the present. Um, yeah, people who don't care about that stuff and you know have no sort of frames of res- reference of that stuff on their own who aren't like politically educated. So, I mean, just poor people in general. It's not about, but everybody loves the guy who doesn't give a fuck. Everybody in, you know, if, you, if, if, if your benchmark is not, they have to be presidential and be very smart. Just like they just have to be fucking crazy. <laughs> like, it'd be funny and crazy, and be like one of your friends, like a guy that you know from the neighborhood who just like says insane shit. Like, oh, I like that guy. Like Joe Biden, he's not pardoning. He's not like calling the Swedish government to get ASAP Rocky out of jail. If ASAP Rocky's in jail, Trump is. It's it's true. like he's it's he's a guy from. He's got a thing for writers. Yeah, he's he a guy from the neighborhood because he's a liar. Yeah, he's a cheat. He steals. <laughs> He just loves hot girls. Um, he's probably going to jail. <laughs> it's like Almost certainly. A lot of overlap. Oh, my god! I want to, before we um, uh, die uh, here, what, what, here uh, I just want yeah. to focus people's attention on the New Hampshire primary in a way that I just feel like people are not, um, which is okay. as follows. This Tuesday... Might be the last chance yeah. for anything interesting to happen, at least until like Bobby Kennedy like jacks off on yeah. on the Malibu Pier. 
live right. streaming on, on the Timcast. It, I don't know. Is that, is is that a pay per view of a suggestion? It's fine. Jerking off. I'm here. It's going to be great. <laughs> oh my God. I just saw that today he said on day one he's going to uh, pardon both uh, Edward Snowden and uh, the uh, rapey guy, too. Um, Oh, by the way, if he truly believes that his father... Who's the rapist? Uh, that, that's... that's uh, uh, you know, Julian Assange. Julian Assange, yeah. Oh. If he truly believes okay. that his father was not killed by Sirhan Sirhan and he was killed by the CIA, one would presume that on day one he would let his father's murderer out of jail, too. Because Sirhan Ooh. Sirhan's still alive. And he knows so him. Why not do that? Uh, Maybe wait for day two. Uh, <laughs> day two. Um uh, no, it's but- so hard to call people and tell them to do stuff like that. No one's going to have any idea what he's talking about. <laughs> if they can have like that Adobe make, podcast AI fix himself. his voice while he's on the phone <laughs> and he talks like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You get all of Ukraine. I, yeah. yeah. You should invade Ukraine <laughs> now. Well, what? Well, I should invade? Uh, next. Yeah. Yeah. This, this this is, is terrible. really good this is terrible i actually feel nope, bad you about shouldn't. it um but no that uh tuesday is possibly the last moment that there will be a genuine competition in both parties mm. granted there isn't really a big possibility for competition yeah. in the democratic party let's be honest about that but yeah. the conditions are as good as they can possibly get in new hampshire on the yeah. democratic side because fucking joe biden is a write-in he's a write-in People have to Did go. Ackman give money to Kevin Phillips. A million dollars to Dean, or, yeah, Dean yeah. Phillips. Dean Phillips, yeah. Yeah. Dean Phillips, who says Kevin Phillips is dead. Actually, who like so. started his uh, campaign by saying, "I adore Joe Biden." So it's a big competition here. Uh, he since yeah. he since said yeah. that Biden sucks on immigration and uh, he's a little bit more uh, hawkish on his. Be great if if Biden was <laughs> he removed met references to DEI from his, Just his campaign website. Yeah, yeah. Whoops! Whoops. Did, yeah. I actually didn't care about that. <laughs> I bet if you ask Biden, he would endorse him. <laughs> like Biden, Biden would be like, "That's true." Yeah, okay, I love him. He's pretty I good. Her, 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 he's Harry Dean Stanton. Talenty. I love him. I like, who does like? I like ice cream. Talenty's good yeah. ice cream. Yeah. Look, expensive. J- 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 James Dean. Harry, Harry Dean Stanton. James Dean. He's great. Did you did you guys see the clip of um, of Trump from earlier this week talking about um, Nikki Haley suggesting that she was responsible for? Police on January uh, on January sixth yeah. for the Capitol Police, and that he uh, in the White House had offered them all sorts of uh, troops, etc., mm-hmm. and that and, and Nikki, Nikki Haley, Haley said no. Nikki Haley turned this down. So I, a lot of people were suggesting, you know, that this is another example of Trump having a senior moment, um, which you know, it I, he certainly said Nikki Haley. Multiple she has times. an N in front of her name, as does Nancy Pelosi, uh, which is who he was talking about. Um. Yeah, he was talking about Nikki yeah, Haley. No, in no, that no, context, no, 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 no. I know he was. He, he was Nikki porting Haley. the Nancy Pelosi information into Story. the yeah. Nikki Haley part. Yeah, it's an end. It was an end problem, as far as I can tell. Okay, so not an old guy. No, thing, totally an old guy thing. Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> an old guy thing. No, I was going to say about about like uh uh yeah even before like in the way that Joe Biden answers questions and when Jill tell, reminds him of his favorite ice cream. A thing that those of us who have forgetful seniors in our lives know is that the amount, it's like the, like an iceberg situation. Like we see the tip of the iceberg when he stumbles or when he like has this sort of little moment there. 
But actually, there's a whole lot more of the iceberg under the water of they're bluffing. They're fucking bluffing. He's like, I hope that I don't have to say anything that I'm not really sure of. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually heartbreaking. I mean, like, um, uh, especially for someone who is is not a public official, doesn't have the power of nuclear weapons at their fingertips, um, but like someone who is just like, doesn't want to, it's not even like out of a personal thing, but like doesn't want to inconvenience anyone or embarrass him or herself in front of other people. Like they're bluffing. They're like, I I think I can say the thing that I'm supposed to say here. And you can see them searching for it. You can fucking see Mm. that with Biden. Stop pretending that you can't. You just can't. He's doing that. Any, I swear to God, anyone who has this with an 80-something person in their lives knows the look, knows the flex. I can't believe that. I cannot believe people deny this because the only thing you have to do is show Joe Biden from five years ago. Yeah. Even less. Yeah. But say five years ago and, and then show him now and just you, you could not. It's incredible. You could not sit there and watch that and say there's been no change. And if you yeah. say that there's been change, then you're just acknowledging that it, it's been changed, not in the right direction. And obviously it hasn't been because he's in his 80s and that's just what happens to old people. It's not something that's Joe Biden's fault. It's the fault of the people around him and the Democratic Party who is putting, um, if they believe that the alternative to Joe Biden is obviously fascism and the end of democracy, they certainly don't seem very serious about it. Yes. If they're willing to put American democracy at risk by running this guy again, just not to hurt his feelings. I mean, like, I want to make sure you're like, what am I going to do now? With the running mate who is one of the most unpopular, uh, deservedly unpopular politicians in America, because she's fucking You do realize stupid. that if he wins, she's going to be president, right? Yes, of course. I mean, do it. yeah. It, it's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, Camille's just put- suppose, Yeah, that's the case, even if even if he wins. You yeah. put Joe Biden on the screen well, It'll be interesting to see what happens if, in the event, one of these two very old men dies during the campaign, yeah. which, again, President like, Stefanik. could totally Yeah. <laughs> Super believable. Um, yeah, well, it's as we were talking about it, I'm remembering this, this clip that I saw earlier this week um, because someone uh, on CNN, I think, used a phrase that sounded – I guess that was referencing something that Joe Biden had said during a debate about Giuliani. And I went back and found the clip and watched it and it's hilarious. Um, And it also was probably like the peak of Joe Biden's like whole, uh, I don't know. It it was a peak of something, but I just wanted to call it. What what, what year is it? This is, this is, um, this is from 16 years ago. Okay. So it's the Democratic presidential debate, but he's talking about Giuliani here. Probably the most underqualified man since George Bush to seek the presidency (laughs) is here talking about any of the people here. Rudy Giuliani. I mean, think about Rudy Giuliani. There's there's only three things he mentioned in the sentence, a noun and a verb and 9-11. I mean, there's nothing else. I mean, that's a good line. It also delivered well because it was written, it was prepared, but like... Unlike yes, Ron DeSantis, there's a way to <laughs> to, to do mm. your prepared lines <laughs> that make them sound somewhat off the cuff. And did you guys see that that Ron canceled his NBC and CNN appearances for tomorrow Sunday um, ahead of the New Hampshire? Yeah, primaries. and also it's just ske- scheduling. Also, issues. that um, they're uh, trying to prepare the ground of excitement that he might win the U.S. Virgin Islands. 
which is yeah. always a good sign. <laughs> no yeah. way. Yeah. No, 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 no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's, a, that's the thing. It's yeah. up there. Um, yeah. No, but as I was saying earlier, he, he's oh he's going to drop out next week. He's going to drop out next week, most likely, yeah. and and uh, and it, it, like um, and he'll be so relieved when he does that. But if Haley doesn't win, and she might, that's you know not likely, but she might because New Hampshire is really weird. There's more registered mm-hmm. independents than there are Democrats or Republicans, and they can choose on election day. I'm going to vote in this one. Um, and that's like a big swing vote that's not going to be reflected in the pre-election polls. Mm-hmm. Um, but like she kind of has to win um, or yeah. get really close to winning before South Carolina in such a way to maybe reverse the South Carolina polls, which are that Donald Trump is up 30 points in her fucking yeah. home state, which is and, terrible. And Trump is just going to say, and, and if, if she has a good showing in New Hampshire and it doesn't look like she's going to win New Hampshire. But if she did, it would just be like, oh, this is a bunch of Democrats. Yeah. Democrats coming out to vote for her. Which would be true. Um, and yeah. But also, like, it would be a, it would change the trajectory a little bit of the race if she did. But if she doesn't, then, like, it's kind of over. And then South Carolina will finish it off with the exception of, you know, what happens when he is in jail or dies or something. And then she would have the second most delegates. And the same is true in the Democratic race because Joe Biden is right in because of all this weird weirdness. Um, and Dean Phillips has thrown all of his bits into this race. The chances are very, very small that he overcomes the 48 point uh, deficit there. But if you want there to be weirdness in this race, and my God, if you it, like, you know, it's a solid, like, I think 68, 70% of Americans are just fucking horrified by the Trump-Biden rematch, um, Tuesday is your day. Like, you need to be, like, hooked in um, in that in this primary in a way that you wouldn't otherwise be and, like, fucking rooting for Dean Phillips and rooting for Nikki Haley, even if you hate both of them. Just if you yeah. don't want those other guys to be president and you want a little political competition and just, like, weirdness. Otherwise, the weirdness will have to come from third parties, from Bobby Kennedy, and from, you know, fucking no labels and the Libertarian Party is your only hope from their point on, besides, you know, jailing and death. Speaking of uh, Nikki Haley, I saw Ross Douthat had a column in the Times today, the New York Times, <clears throat> um, where he described, I guess the, the title anyways, was why Nikki Haley could be the most dangerous president. Uh, and it's just mostly about foreign policy. And we have this... And a particularly turbulent uh, foreign policy landscape, uh, a lot of conflicts, the United States obviously uh, having some role uh, in both the Ukrainian conflict and the Israeli-Palestinian drama that's playing out and things have escalated recently with the Houthis. And Nikki does seem like a, a kind of a throwback to almost the, the George W. Bush era. She does seem to embody that sort of same ambitious, sweeping foreign policy, uh, approach to foreign policy in some respects. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if you guys saw that, that column, if you think Ross might have, uh, an interesting point here. You know, Trump was so concerned about this that he installed her at the UN. Um, and he was so concerned about foreign policy that he brought in John Bolton. I mean, this Mm -hmm. Trump's own, um, fealty to the Buchananite vision of foreign policy strikes me as, um, not very convincing. But also, yeah. I just don't, I mean, it would obviously be very different from somebody like J.D. Vance, um, who himself might be vice president. I mean, he's, it looks like he's probably one of the three that are in line 
to be um, mm-hmm. uh, one of Trump's picks. But I, I just, I don't, I don't really see that it would be much different than Joe Biden. And I think that that horrifies Republicans. But I think it's probably about the same of, of, of what Joe Biden is doing. I mean, she obviously has to deal with Republicans too. And it, mm-hmm. she, she has a Republican caucus that decided that they thought Ukraine was, um, you know, a Nazi government run by the worst person, uh, you know, since, since, uh, Stalin in, in Zelensky, very bizarre <laughs> the way that this happened amongst Republicans, but she has to deal with those people too. And I, I also think that, you know, this is a scare tactic that always, they're so neocon Look, since 2003, this has been a, um, a talking point that like seemed to make sense uh, with John McCain. Um, but um, I don't really think that that makes much sense with her. I mean, it also, it, she's, she's pretty conservative in a lot of ways. And I think she would govern that way too. I think at this point, when you're trying to differentiate yourself from Donald Trump, it makes you emphasize certain things that you probably w- wouldn't naturally emphasize, but I don't know. We'll see. And I can't say that that's right or wrong. I mean, I could be totally wrong about this. But the hawkishness, the talk about the hawkishness seems to outweigh the actual hawkish statements that I've heard in the past six months. The one mm-hmm. or the things that get me about Nikki's hawkishness that I don't like are like, it's no accident that October 7th was Vladimir Putin's birthday. Like, yeah, that's just, I don't know. Shit. Might be an accident. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm, uh, maybe it's not but like also i my, actually didn't know that she said that that's amazing. over and that? over and over again i i find myself like um i've been rooting for someone to beat donald trump in the republican party primary because i don't want donald trump to win the the nomination because i don't want him to be president because i think he's bad um, and so, like, uh, if it was Ron DeSantis, okay, that's great. It's but it's not Donald Trump, and now it's Nikki Haley. Um, and uh, some people in our comments and elsewhere got mad, like they think I'm being mean to Ron DeSantis. It's like, ah, you know, I probably um, Ron DeSantis is going to be closer to where I'm coming from. I just want some bitch who is not Donald Trump to win the Republican primary, because then we we'll, we might get closer to that day when we don't live in the Trumpified Republican party, but like that's the majority of Republicans mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, no, that's, that and ship it's has the, sailed. yeah, it's, the ship is, is almost certainly sailed. And I, I can recognize that. And also I'm not a Republican, so it's like not even for me to decide. However, um, uh, Nikki Haley always is doing axis of evil shit. And so it's like China, Russia, and Iran, are together and they're rubbing their hands and occasionally get a little like a reach around from North Korea. And this is what we got (laughs) to deal with. And I think about this in kind of two ways. One is that, um, she is, uh, she's belligerent in a way about that, that worries me. Um, uh, especially like, you know, saying that, we have to like ban China from doing basic commerce in the U.S., which is in direct opposition to how she governed in South Carolina ten years ago. And she's like, "Well, well, now we know about China. Like, well, did we not? Did, what happened in ten years? Seems kind of weird about that." Um, so I worry about it in that sense. The U.S. is still the largest uh, military in the largest footprint in the world, and if you're going to be ever on alert, you're going to be more likely to have. Um, sympathy for folly in, in foreign policy on some level. 
On the other hand, which is the opposite hand in the in the sense is that I feel like the kind of the the post nineteen forty eight order that Donald Trump and the populists and other people have been successfully and in, in some cases righteously running against. And you can throw Brexit into this. You can throw a lot of kind of um, nationalistic, um, anti multilateral. Uh, organization sentiment out there, um, a lot of which is stuff that, like the the sentiment of which I kind of uh, understand and agree. Far off elites deciding stuff that we have no uh, ability to control. That's wrong. We want to be able to control our own things. Uh, I get all of that, and I, and I think that actually U- U.S. foreign policy needs to be more responsive to public opinion and not less. Um, and then I think about the fucking Houthis. And so this is the ultimate mm. challenge, I think, to a Trumpite or uh, a more aggressively actual anti-war, because Trump would just fucking bomb the Houthis. Who are we even mm-hmm. kidding? Who <laughs> are we kidding about he's that? so would. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jesus yeah. fucking Christ, he would be bombing so many Houthis. He's like, where's that Timothy fucking Chalamet Houthi? I am going to piss on his face. Mm. <laughs> Live. That's what he would be doing. Um, but oh like uh, the the- if it were up to, he would live, oh, live show. Of course he, he would. would. And it would be awesome. And, and we would all watch. Come yeah. on. Um, but like the people who are like pretending that Nikki Haley is so obviously worse than anything Donald Trump could ever be. And I think at least half of the one, especially the ones who are in elected office, they are pretending. Um, they are deliberately mm. not looking at the things like Rand Paul. And I like Rand Paul and I, I defend him in many uh, circumstances. Donald Trump the other day said yeah. on his dumb truth social and also like in a court filing that uh, the president should have absolute immunity to do all the crimes no matter what um and like it does if you have to assassinate somebody fuck it uh, then we can assassinate somebody <laughs> um and someone asked Rand Paul who had just come out with his like I don't know who I'm going to uh endorse but never Nikki someone asked him um uh like what do you think about that it's like I haven't read up enough about that statute to uh, really have a legal opinion, said the guy who did like 11 hours on the Senate floor doing a filibuster about like the NSA and Edward Snowden in 2013. What are we even talking about? So I think that people have like found their way. Those people especially like haven't come up with an answer to the Houthi problem, which is what are you going to do when the pirates say, oh, there's a choke point. I'm going to bomb it and hijack it. Um, The U.S., and the international world order that the U.S. created and dominated since 1948 um, had an answer for that, which is that, and it wasn't a great answer, honestly, um, which is that the U.S. Navy takes care of that and will like rope enough enough people along to kind of do it. But basically, you know that we'll we'll take care of that. Um, I get the argument that that default opinion. It puts too much on the U.S. and it's kind of like wrong and other people should take responsibility for stuff. I've argued that many times in different contexts, but what's your fucking answer to the Houthis bombing this, fucking civilian cargo? If you don't have this, one, you got to come up with yeah. one. And His and, doubted column is terrible, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I feel the bustard enough for you to read it, so like, go ahead. <laughs> there's no <laughs> quotes from, there's, there's literally, he doesn't quote her once. He, does, he just says, oh, she's kind of like George W. Bush. The thing that's, that's 
I think that people miss about this is that there's this uh, people write about this stuff in this ridiculous way that Americans have changed since Iraq. Maybe, kind of. I mean, remember Republicans were were. I mean, the attacks on Joe Biden about how to get out of Afghanistan are themselves kind of telling in, in a way. And it's like, of course, he screwed it up. But it, it's really interesting that I think that if Donald Trump didn't have the foreign policy of a Pat Buchanan, of a, you know, conservative nationalist, a NatCon, whatever you want to call it, and he was bellicose in foreign policy, I think that most of his supporters would be right right next to him and, and, and be cheering him on. Absolutely. They don't, they overestimate how much what their pet pet issues are, which is uh, foreign policy and being anti-war, et cetera, that how much that is shared by people because Donald Trump kind of, not really, but is kind of in that universe. Not totally, but kind of. Um, and people say the word neocon and warmonger all the time um, because that's what Donald Trump's <clears throat> handmaidens in, in MAGA world say. I don't think they're really convinced by this. I think that they're people who, you know, see, sing Lee Greenwood's Proud to be an American, talk about veterans and veter <laughs> so talk about service and the military and like service to, to, to do what? To just sit around stateside? I don't think they actually believe that. I, I mean, I've never really heard that as the top line issue um, when you're out amongst Trump people. When you're in D.C., of course. When you're amongst the the the... MAGA types, of course, people are really committed in, in the media world and in DC, those types of MAGA people, you hear it all the time. But I mean, it's not like, oh, we really need Donald Trump to keep us out of foreign wars. When they talk about <clears throat> Ukraine, it's always in relation to immigration, which is very odd. Border fentanyl. Yeah, border family. You should be spending on this. It's not like America does not have that Pax Americana role anymore. We should be pulling. It's never that. It's about, okay, well, you're spending money and you should be spending it here. Um, and of course, then when Donald Trump is president or when he was president and he was spending money like a drunken sailor, nobody gave a shit. They never said anything about that, um, which was the only thing that Nikki Haley, and I'm not a Nikki Haley fan, the only thing she said in that first or second debate that I really appreciated, but mm -hmm. she was like, what are you talking about? Donald Trump sucked on spending. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, he did. Thank, thank, thank God somebody said it. It's like, you guys don't give a fuck about spending. And you're like, oh my God, they're spending too much money. Because, and, and everyone's transposing their own views onto the views of um, American voters and Trump voters, which are, who are generally not concerned about these things. They like, brave, they like fucking things up. They like bombing things. Nobody's complaining about the Houthi stuff. Yeah, he's not anti-war. He's Jacksonian. Um, yeah. And, and like, Anti-war people think that they can like ride the Jacksonian tiger. And correct. Good luck. That is correct. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we've been on for a while. We yeah. should get going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, All right. it's been, it's been real. real. Um, and we'll be back uh, pretty soon. Yeah, we've got some stuff coming up. All right. All Bye. right. Bye. We, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column. 